Cyclocross Friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 227 of Cyclocross Radio. On today's show, we got a special guest with us. It's our buddy Elizabeth Reincourt from up in Philadelphia, who is joining us to talk about World Cup mountain biking. We are breaking down Albstadt, breaking it all the way down until it's a fine micro dust. We got into this race and we couldn't leave. So my apologies ahead of time for the length of this episode, but man, it was just too fun of a conversation. So we just kept going. As always, this show is brought to you by the Wide Angle Podium Podcast Network. I know a lot of you who listen to this show already are members of the Wide Angle Podium, and I thank you for that. But to be perfectly honest, it's a very, very small fraction of you. I see the numbers, and then I see the donors, and let's just say they don't match up. We would love to get your support to to continue putting on this show and to support other shows like Zach's show Nowhere Fast, which is amazing. You should check it out. Rob Kelly's Crit Beef show. It's not really called that. It's called Criterium Nation. But if you've been following Crit Beef, it originated with Criterium Nation. And he's got a great show with Adam Meyerson talking about the origins of what's going on in the crit world, which you should really check out. It's it's amazing. Slow Ride Podcast, those guys still doing what they do. And I know this falls on deaf ears. Most of you probably already fast forwarded past it. And I know that between the bulletin and between this podcast, it always seems like I'm asking you all for money, but it's not a lot. It's either a one-time donation or $5 a month or up from there. And it just does a ton to help us continue to produce these shows and to have an incentive to continue to do it. It's, it's, you know, you can say you don't do it for the money, but at some point you want to see that the community is supporting what you're doing to give you an incentive to continue doing that. So it helps. It helps on many levels. It also pays for the server space and we need that too. All right, let's talk about mountain biking. It's episode 227 of Cyclocross Radio or Cyclocross Radio. We've got Zach and Michael and Elizabeth. We're talking Albstadt and we're doing that right now. All right, we are back in the media pit with us. Joining us today is Elizabeth Ryan Court. Uh, because Zach, doing his doing his research of who would be good to talk about mountain biking, saw the E Grindcore Twitter handle and thought she talked good about mountain biking, and and here we are. So happy to be I, here. I think that's a little bit of. I mean, sure, <laughs> why not? She has a great Twitter handle. Like, there's no question about that. Uh, but really, I mean, I was watching the single track race, short track race. Yes. Yes. Thank you for correcting me. I would hate to make a, a Tim Super Rookie-esque mistake <laughs> like that again. Wait, wait, Zach. Koretsky, if you're wrong. All right. You're back on your... Michael <laughs> is back. I love it. I love it. He's back. He, I, I didn't even get to him yet. He was so excited to say it. I, he couldn't even wait for me to ask him how I was doing. He was like, we got a different plan here. Elizabeth's here, Michael. You just got to <laughs> hang on. 
But I think it was the good plan because we, we threw it to him last week and like I had to step in and, and it was a whole thing. Anyway, so I was like, wow, who's heard of Linger in- Linda Intergond? And Elizabeth is like, ahem, mountain bike eliminator, two-time world champ. I know all about it. And it was just like, I mean, if you know that much about the mountain bike eliminator, like we need you on Cyclocross Radio to talk mountain biking. So that's how the story went. Uh, and so she's here and I'm excited. Hey, Michael. How's it going? Bill, it's sure to be a good episode with Elizabeth joining us. Oh, you had two. Two this week. Yeah, I know. I was so, oh my God. Koretsky, if I'm wrong, geez, come on. You really are the victor of this opening. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yes. Coming in strong. Coming in strong. I like it. Uh Let's so our, our main. Where do we want to start? We 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 got a couple things going on here. We had a big rainy uh, Giro stage the other day with some some cyclocross personalities that we are familiar with, and then we also I think we're going to spend a lot of our time talking about the Albstadt Cross Country Mountain Bike World Cup that happened last weekend, and also what we expect to see based on those results this coming weekend in Nova Mesto. But Michael, should we start with the Giro? Yes. I mean, I mean, the only thing I here, this is where I'll start. And, um, you know, we've made a point on this podcast to talk about all the cyclocross racers and the various, how they've been dominating road. And obviously what I learned this week, and especially um, coming from the Maber region, is that we left out a very important uh, cyclocross racer, and that's Joe Dombrowski, winning the stage of the Giro. Um, so, Bill, how did, you, how did you skip him when we talked about him what? in the road season? I mean, is he, is he like elite? Is he subtopper? He doesn't fit our rules, Michael. That's why. He yeah. hasn't r- raced a cyclocross bike <laughs> since 2018. And I, he may have done that on his mountain bike. I think he, he went to, this is, this is like, this is the pro of pro. So Joe showed up to DCCX, I think 2017. And the only reason he was there, he r- raced, finger quotes, he did some parade laps, but he was there because there was a brewery near where his parents live in Marshall, Virginia, that that was putting out a Joe Dombrowski beer. So they were having a release party on that weekend. So he showed up to race to promote it. Now, if you want to take that and include him, but exclude somebody like Tim Merlier, who raced seven or eight times like we did last week. I, I think I think we are gonna get letters and comments if we do that. He also maybe cr- it's cursing him too because today was not good. Yeah. Yeah. That's rough. I mean I, yeah, I we I hate to see that in a grand tour. I, I kinda hate these stages in grand tours because of this exact reason where we lose two of the stars of the grand tour on a flat sprint stage in the last part. It's just, it's so silly. And it's just like, it's so dumb. I don't know. That's such a bummer. I don't know. We'll hopefully we'll find out if Joe can continue on, but, uh, and make Maber proud. It was fun for all of us in the mid Atlantic region to go jump into our, our photo and video archives and, and pull out all of the, all of the Joe Dombrowski photos. He's also the kind of guy that since he really just, 
he didn't come up really through the junior system or the Devo system or anything like that. He was just, you know, riding his mountain bike out in Jeremiah Bishop land. And all of a sudden was like, whoosh, here I am. And, you know, almost, almost out of nowhere. So when he was, he was 17 years old and like a cat four, you know, and just like learning how to race his bike, which means that by the time he started getting better and then was in these open races, you can talk to, you know how those stories go, like when the Beatles played at, at Shea Stadium or Woodstock, like if everybody who says they were at Woodstock or says they were at the, at when the Beatles were in New York actually were there, it'd be like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in the stadium. That's kind of like who raced against Joe. It's like everybody in Mavro <laughs> wants to claim that they raced against Joe in that, in, in some, some race or another. So those are, those are all the stories that we get to hear about now. That's been kind of fun. I do want to say that I thought it was pretty cool to see on social media, uh, Mavra coming out for Joe. And that was kind of a fun thing to have you to kind of relive uh, your memories. I will just, we'll say, uh, Bill, your photo on the, the cyclocross tandem bike, probably, probably my favorite one. <laughs> that was, we had a whole tandem series. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I'm was- so sad that I moved here too late for that because, uh, Willem, my husband and I did a cross race on a tandem in 2019 when we were both, uh, basically not racing anymore, um, that season, but came out for one cross race on a tandem. And it was simultaneously the hardest and most fun cross race I've ever <laughs> done. And like, you know, several UCI seasons, not as hard as actually doing a cross race on a tandem and trying. Oh, it was so fun. So and, fun. And like true amateur bike racers, what happened then was everybody started taking the tandem races very seriously to the point that they were out there practicing these bobsled-esque starts with like the person behind push running and pushing and then getting on once they got up to speed and that you would see several different techniques. People were asking about barriers, about, you know, does one person carry the bike and the other one just run and then they catch back (laughs) up or they both, and there was just all this different stuff. And then it got to the point where uh, there was, we, we were getting requests to have a, a Mabra cross championship jersey for the tandem series (laughs) and at that point i think it it got to like everything else in cyclocross where people were like this isn't fun anymore and then it kind of went away it had jumped the shark yeah yeah tandem over the shark we used to get some great great costumes and just a great it was always it was it would be like the last race of the day and it was it was if here's something that that local promoters are always wondering how do we keep people around? How do we keep people around? Have a tandem race last and that'll keep it like, don't have the whole thing is like, Oh, we're going to put the, we're going to put the cat threes last. And then they'll be forced to watch the elite races, which I'm always like, they're not going to watch. They're going to be at their cars. They're going to be futzing about their last food intake and what they're doing for the warm up. They're not watching the races, but do this and you'll get people to stick around. Yeah, Zach, you might know the old days of Jingle Cross when there was a tandem race there. I don't know if you were around the Midwest in those days, but that was some scary nonsense taking a tandem down Mount Crumpet. (laughs) I never saw that. That It was amazing. Uh, And that was, of course, also when it was in the winter. 
and I mean, it was it was also in with the uh, the speedo race. So everybody's in speedos or like Christmas bikinis and taking tandems down Mount, Mount Crumpet, likely intoxicated. All right, we're going to have to pen a letter to the Slow Ride podcast to see if we can get any more uh, intel on this. I've got some old photos. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Should we move on to Albstadt? Let's do it. Talk about some mountain bike racing. Yeah. Yeah. Where are we going to start? Are we going to start with the uh, with the uh, short track? Should we just go in order? Yeah, it, or like what's, yeah let's I do mean, that. Should we, should we bury the Pidcock lead here? No, that, yeah, for sure. Let's start. Let's start. Okay, let's bury the Pidcock lead and make people stick around for the for the good stuff. Let's start as they as they call it in Europe, the short race. The short race. The short race. Single track. The single track. <laughs> uh, what's uh, let's start with the women's race. Yeah, I'll just start it off. I mean, I, I said like what what Indergon did. Like, don't you think it's a good strategy? Like, for your for the subtoppers of the world, like, convince me that what she did is not a good idea. So Chloe Woodruff did it once last year to great uh, effect as well. Um, and I mean, obviously, Vanderpool has done it. Uh, so there's that. Um, so I think like you can't fault Indergon for doing it if you uh, cheer Vanderpool for doing it. So that's one. Um, and it, you know, I think like the dropper post thing, if she hadn't had the dropper post issue, which was so painful uh, to watch, like I've, I've been in that position when I'm not racing and it's annoying as hell to like have to pull, like reach into your crotch and pull your seat up every couple of seconds because it keeps falling down. And like imagining being so above threshold and trying to do that at the same time while going over a pump track while Pauline Ferran proposed chasing you pretty annoying um so yeah i mean she had it and it wasn't a fluke because then her start now i'm jumping the gun but her start on on sunday in the cross-country race was also really good like she had a really strong first lap um so i think it's but you can only do it if people either if you're vanderpool um and everybody's afraid of you or if people don't think you're gonna hang on to it and well, so here's my thought, and my, my thought on that is you've got like you know the, they generally speaking like they're you know these are fast races they come down to the last lap everyone's together and you have Fran Provo uh, just totally playing Kate Courtney and we'll talk about I'm sure Bill will talk about that um, but you know they're kind of watching out for each other Evie wasn't in the mix this time I mean she's always a wild card but she was so far back you just got some of the other toppers that are kind of keeping an eye on each other and kind of controlling that front so it's almost like a, a road race where it's like, why not send it? Because they're just going to be putzing around. They don't want to do the work. They're still like marking each other. And I think that you kind of saw that where she's just kind of off the front. Right. And um, so that's why I think it's a it's a good strategy. In Vanderpool's case, like they just, they can't, they can't catch him. Yeah. I think in, in Vanderpool's case, it was just like, they, that was just him doing a temperature check and seeing how hard am I going to have to go on the last lap or second to last lap to make it stick. Let me see who's got anything in them. And now I know how many watts I need to put out for how long to win at the end. But why not just like make these guys really nervous and scared of me because I can in lap two. I think, in, and this is here, I'll come in with a noob question because um, I'm the new guy. Well, I mean, 
how much are the are are the athletes on on the short track on Friday? Are they going all out, or are they sort of trying to keep a little bit of their powder dry? And so, right, if you're someone who is maybe not the top top of the line, you you can go hard on Friday, get some maybe get some extra points that you wouldn't maybe get on Sunday. I mean, or are they just treating this as like each day it's like a it's like a double weekend cross race where you just go hard as you can it's it's i think it it runs the gamut i mean knowing this i I, there are definitely people in that race uh, i just because i spent time with them like anton cooper when this came into there he's he's a climber he's uh you know he's a guy that's going to hurt you at the end of races like a, a 20 minute race is not his forte his goal was always to hang on to make sure he could be, you know, on that front row or at least in the front two rows. That's the goal. Top 16. That's all he really cared about. And I think there are a lot of people in that same position. And what happens is that once we get through a lap or two, there is going to be a large percentage of the field who, and I think this hurt Evie some as well, who is just going to put on the brakes as far as racing Mm -hmm. goes and just finish because there's no point in putting out a huge effort that may hurt you on Sunday. If you're not going to, if you're not going to get any points anyway. So you see a lot of soft pedaling start to start to happen. What was interesting about this women's race. And I think why Intergan did what she did was that wasn't really, there was still a big group because they were they were playing this like the last couple laps of a crit or the end of a road race, and everybody was just looking around at each other. And I think you're right, Elizabeth. She was just like, "Well, screw it. If no one else is going to go, I'm going to go." And I, I thought it was a, a great move. And then Zach, what you alluded to the 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 wonderful part of this is we look at Pauline Ferrand Prevot and look at what kind of a racer she is, and I think this was a great opportunity to see that she's not only physically just so strong, but she's also just a superb tactician because she knew that eventually Kate Courtney was going to get a little frustrated and was just going to, to go. And she was like, if no one else is going to do it, I'm going to do it. And that is Kate Courtney's strength in cross country races she's battled with this in the short track race since its inception. Every, well, and every, she used to be Annika Longvad's uh, chaser for the yeah. short track races. She was setting up and doing the work for Longvad. So she's probably, you know, still in the back of her mind. One is no, she doesn't have a teammate to do that for her, even though she's the star now, but two, she will, you know, likely, fall into that well this is what i gotta do if there's somebody off the front we gotta chase it down and so you know and you can't blame her like she knows that she's got to chase it down got to got to get up there and if pauline is being more tactical about it then that them's the them's the yeah and it was also just the the confidence of pauline on top of that going back to how strong she is she she vanished a 14 second lead in like two seconds 
That was insane. I wanted to bring that up. That was so bonkers. You're like 14, se- literally 14 seconds at the bell. And I mean, uh, Inger Von, she was still having uh, a little bit of the dropper post, but like she pulled it up pretty quick. Like that, that, that lead just yeah. was gone. It was insane. <laughs> yeah. And then I think the, the other nice story in there, Annie Last, who's been a, a great story just from having struggles couple years ago to coming back looking strong i think there was uh lenser a couple years ago awesome race on the podium and in great to see that she still has form so third place for her any other stories about the short track which we could probably talk about at least on the women's side for another 30 minutes or should we let's uh let's move on to the uh the men's I think yeah, there's one one other thing that I would say. This is actually back to Michael's question about the, you know, what do you do on Friday? Um, is that the other interesting storyline to me in this is that Yana Bellamoina has just decided to sit it out. She says, screw it. It's not worth it for me. I'm not good at this. I will work my way up from a further back row, start fourth row start this last weekend because I don't want to deal with that short track nonsense. I hate it. I'm not good at it. That Bart Brenchen's trying to diplomatically talk about that was one of the best parts of the, oh, it's hilarious. <laughs> of the well, broadcast. I, feel, I mean, like knowing this, I feel like I feel like she kind of has to not be a favorite of the show. Then, I mean, like because the the short track is like the cyclocross special. I feel like uh, you know, I mean, she raced well on 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 Sunday. I think, like, I think that's like minus one point and not in her favor. I'm just gonna I'm gonna be honest about it. Well, and like, yeah, I mean, also she, she got fifth, uh, on Sunday. So that's another thing too, is the short track does give you the starting position, but it also gives you points, right? So if you're chasing that overall, I mean, I guess that's like, that's the gamble you've got to, got to make if that's, I mean, I don't know how much, how I don't, I don't actually don't know how many points are rewarded for, you know, winning uh short track first. Okay. It's like a quarter of the points. Got it. She got, okay. 140 for getting fifth. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. That's, you know, that's. I respect that. I like that you have this this dynamic, this other dynamic in in this weekend of racing. So I will give her the point back, Zach. I will say the one the one sort of funny thing, and and Americans do do well in in short track. And you know, if we if we look at yeah, Kate Courtney in fourth, uh, Haley Batten was eleventh, uh, Chloe Woodruff twelfth. So all three of them in the first two rows, and then. Uh, I think a disappointing race for Aaron Hawk, who ended up 18th, who just just missed out on that. The the well, Bart and Rob always talk about how this is an American specialty. You know, though they race short track all the time, and I'm like counting. I'm like, you know, maybe maybe they raced twice last year <laughs> in the U.S. I think U.S. The- I mean, they do the uh, they do those fat bike crits at the that is true uh, that is at true. the epic rides. Maybe that maybe that's, that's what, what he's talking about. about. Yeah. You know, because I'm Chloe and Aaron. They do some of those races. Yeah, no, that's that's that's, that's definitely about. for sure. But as far as just straight up short track, I think I think well, 2019 you actually did. You had. Uh, Vale Lake, you had Benelli, you had Sea Otter, and then you had Noho, Soho, <laughs> Soldier Hollow, <laughs> the Northeast race in uh, Utah, in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So at least they did, I guess, four of them there. So that was, that was legit. But I do think it's funny that as if as if the Americans are out there just like on a weekly basis, you know, <laughs> racing racing short track. Can I? I'm just gonna I'm gonna do a, side, a sidebar here, not a sidebar, but like. 
So in in my area, they would sometimes do the mountain bike crit, the mount the fat tire crit at the crit, and and I was, but they would only give like women two races, and I'm like, do you need to add the mountain bike race? Can you just add like another race for the women? That was always my pet peeve. So yeah, that, just wanted to get that out there. Yeah. So I guess for the men's race, uh, Elizabeth, I'm going to ask you this. I, I think one of the big uh, watches, as it were, <laughs> the stupid thing that has become my thing about whether or not an athlete is back. And I think like one thing that everyone was watching was where Nino was, right? Like he had a very disappointing for him campaign in 2020 in that shortened season, you could chalk it up to COVID, which I think a lot of athletes just weren't on form, but like dude's 34, like he's not getting any younger. Uh, so, you know, watching him in this race, just curious to hear your thoughts. Cause I, I guess I thought like he showed some of the snap and, you know, the ability that I didn't see from him last year, even in the short track race. I'm kind of curious to, to hear your thoughts uh, as a longtime uh, Nino watcher. Yeah, 100%. I thought, I mean, I, I chalked it up after watching short track and then again watching the the cross country race on Sunday that and, and even in like sort of listening to some of his interviews, he never went as far as saying this, but I think he pretty much when it was clear that 2020 was going to be a bust and the Olympics got canceled or rescheduled. I think he just kind of wrote it off um, and did what he needed to do to keep riding his bike, to show up, to stay sane. But I think like, you know, and this is not to get into the sort of internal psychology of it or anything, but I think, you know, there was a lot to see about how different people handled things last year, um, what they poured their energies into, what their public persona was like. I mean, his teammate, Kate Courtney, is a great example of somebody who really had a big public persona around how they were dealing with the pandemic. Um, And I think for Nino, he just kind of said, let's, you know, this is a crapshoot I'm not going to waste a lot of psychology and energy on it and we'll come back this year. And I think he looks like he's in quite excellent form um, despite having a lot of young pups nipping at his (laughs) heels. Um, You know, it's, he's not the unbeatable Nino of 2017, but he's, I mean, no slouch and looked perfectly comfortable, you know, closing things down, being in the front, being in control, um, you know, not necessarily in the short track, at least not necessarily with the, like, I must win this drive because I think he's written that off when Vanderpool started winning them and said like, you know what, I'm going to get my front row start here and do well enough. But this guy is, is much more of a specialist at this than I am. Uh, I'll see you Sunday kiddo. Um, so yeah, I, but I think he looked, looked, looked in, exceptionally good form for what I would expect, especially after last year. One thing that I thought was really interesting, and I think we'll get to this when we talk about the women's race is just the sense of urgency, uh, that both him and Koretsky had, uh, you know, they saw Vanderpool do the faux attack uh, and they know it's coming. Like they've seen it, he does it, but it, you know, uh, we've talked about there's some other courses have these bigger Hills that it's just like perfect for Vanderpool's like insane ability. This one was a little tougher. It was kind of like a false flat into the flyover, like kind of into that woodsy section. Um, but like they were on it, like Vanderpool went and they closed it down to their credit. They didn't let him get away. But, um, you know, in that last lap, I thought it was really interesting. They, they saw where Vanderpool attacked 
attacked the previous time and they, they attacked <laughs> both of them at the same time. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, cause they were just like, we're not going to let you get away with this. And he's still kind of like just dropped them, which is typical Vanderpool fashion. Yeah. The one, one of the interesting things about this track too, that I think is, is worth mentioning going back to why Evie had a harder time is I think we'll see as we get through the rest of the races that this may be the tightest short track race short track is supposed to be wider and uh, allow for more passing allow for more dynamic racing and when we when you see the the track at nova mesto it's it's like that it 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 looks like like just a you know like a crit course it's super wide there's tons of possibilities for passing and we really really didn't have that here so i think one of vanderpool goal, especially in a short track race, which looks a lot like a cross race is where is that bottleneck going to be? Where is it going to be that I'm not going to be able to pass? And I think that's what, you know, that was one of the things he said about that, that attack was he wanted to really just whittle down the field and make it, make it more manageable so that you don't get stuck behind because right after he attacks is when they go into that wooded single track area, which is really, really tough to, to do anything once you're in there. I mean, he, he showed it that base and so did Pauline. Basically, if you are ahead at the flyover, you win the race, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of the way it's, it's going to go for that. The interesting, here's an interesting contrast for you all. When we look at the, the Scott, team racers we were talking about kate and kind of like oh kate no wrong tactics here you can't go and then you turn around and nino doing the exact same thing we're like yay nino's got snap in his legs look at him go it's great to see where he pretty much did you know free she's gonna have to sit both of them down and say okay guys short track uh um you know uh we gotta we gotta work on the tactics here because he was just covering everything that that just you know and maybe it was just maybe it was openers. Maybe it was just to 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 do that to to show that he's still there. I think it's just that this is going to be he's one of the most competitive people ever, and it's just you know he's not he's not going to hold back on these things, and it is what it is. But you know it, it, it didn't matter in the end. Vanderpool went, and then it was all over. I was going to say I think like the one difference maybe that I saw is that like when he did go like only Koretsky really could follow and I think that those three were kind of the creme de la creme I it, to me it didn't I didn't ever see where Courtney put in a big enough attack to to whittle the field it was just like she was doing work for kind of yeah. nothing like Nino got the separation like so at least he got something out of it well and the also the for the women's race it was as we said it was a much more just mind fuck of a race where everybody's just sort of staring at each other and daring them to go where the men were like bike racing and just you know were on the throttle from from turn one and really didn't let up the whole time so there was the tactics were like how fast can I go and I think, I mean, a lot of those women had raced each other the previous weekend in Switzerland. And so in for me watching it as a spectator, I had seen Pauline, I had seen Kate, I had seen, you know, where they were, what they were up to. There were obviously others who were unknown quantities, but for the, the men's short track race, it's Vanderpool's first time back on the mountain bike. He skipped the whole 2020 season, um, you know, and I feel like there's this huge question mark in the like, does he ever run out of gas? He doesn't seem to have had an off season. Yeah, ever. <laughs> yeah, right. So, you know, that's kind of that. And, and you know, he's, you know, 
you look at his Instagram this week and he's like so stoked to be back on the mountain bike and, you know, missed it and happy as a clam. And, but I think like seeing those head to head matchups hadn't happened yet for the men this season. So I think there's a little bit more, you know, flexing of, you know, where am I peacocking all that kind of stuff that, that I was potentially projecting some gendered assumptions on their behavior. But that also brings me to Avancini, who is just always like that. <laughs> which which we saw started even before the race did, where everybody's on their, you know, the traditional, you have to bring your rollers with you to the starting pen and warm up in there. And, you know, I was just waiting for the for the sunglasses to, like, come down from the sky and, and get onto a Vanderpool. <laughs> He's just, like, leaning against his bike, not even warming up for the race. Yawning. He had to be <laughs> yawning. That's what it looked like. He was so relaxed. Here's a question. Like, so like Vanderpool can do this shit in cyclocross season. We just know he's going to win. Like, whatever. Uh, but I mean, do you think like when you flex like that, like, let's say he hadn't won that short track race, how embarrassing would that be? And should Vanderpool, should he be flexing like that? I don't even think do he think- sees it as a flex, though. I think this right. is just, this is the Bartleby, Bartleby Scrivener, Matthew Vanderpool. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And I make up my own rules. Everybody else may do that. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah. I mean, he, he wears the white shorts. So I mean, (laughs) like, yeah, right. He's not following tradition. Um, you know, and also, but look, look, Zach, if you look at the men's race on Sunday, he maybe flexed a little too hard on Friday and, and kind of paid for it. I guess we'll get to that, but like maybe, you know, we'll see if that changes some of his peacocking, um, coming up before we get to, either of the elite races, Zach, I think we got to follow up on what we covered a lot last week uh, and talk about the U23, especially the the women's race. Yes, yes. So little surprise (laughs) in terms of the winner, but we had uh, had a number of our our U23 racers, seems like with varying levels of success. So I... um, I admittedly didn't have time to really follow that. So, Bill, I'm going to kick it to you. Why don't you run down how our favorite cyclocrossers did? Well, I think, and um, I'll bet Elizabeth has some some notes on this, but I'll do that, and I'm going to throw it to her just because I want to talk about the winner, and I want to talk about possibly the sigh of relief that went through the elite field when they found out that, or they, you know, they realized that she she was a U23 racer and would not be uh, mixing it up with them. But that's Mona Mitterwalner won the race going away it wasn't wasn't even close but in third place was uh uh, uh blanca vosh putting in a really nice race she looked good out there and then who else uh puck i Pierza, i can't say her last name Peterson. the ginger Peterson. hammer yeah, the ginger hammer <laughs> <laughs> she was uh seventh place enduro star also cyclocross champion from Britain, Harriet Harnden was in eighth place. And who am I missing? Fem Van Eppel. Not the not the um, race. Not the race I think she won and she was in thirtieth uh, no. place. So Elizabeth though, so I, I learned this. I was doing some some research for the Bulletin Post. Fem Van Eppel, uh, podium at the Eliminator World Championships. Not surprised. Uh, but interesting crossover, right? It's a weird entry point, uh, for people into this, it, you know, the, I think it's funny. We were joking about like 
the U.S. has all these short track races and like Eliminator, the race that does this even ever happen? Um, but I think it's, I mean, it's funny because it's this, you know, like super weird, but looks like extremely fun discipline. It's like, a, it's like a snow, like snowboard competitions do this eliminator racing. Mm-hmm. Like it's the kind yeah. of thing, like I wish I could have had a chance to race this. Cause I think it'd be a blast. Um, we looked into bringing yeah. a, to having a world cup and if you know, where I do the garage races, we looked at eliminator as well. Let me tell you what they want money wise for you to have an eliminator world championship was not plausible. No, I, yeah, <laughs> I'm not surprised <laughs> made for Red Bull. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, I think, I mean, my biggest, uh, comment on all of the U23 racing is I, God damn, I wish I could watch it because it's just so many cool dynamic people, especially, you know, watching that Swiss Cup race and seeing Mona put minutes into uh, Kate Courtney and Pauline Ferrand Prevot and just going like, whoa, hi, who are you? You're fast as hell. How old are you? Oh, OK. OK. Um, because I was thinking here we would have somebody who is coming up and and, you know, really, really putting it to Lana LeCompte, who it should be noted, is young enough to be in the U23s as well. She's just and mm. is the U23 world champion, um, but is pulling the Celine Del Carmen Alvarado and racing up um, as a younger one, um, not getting to wear her rainbow stripes because she's doing the elite race. Yeah, Mitterwaner, just 19 years old. I, I, I was the same way. I was like, where did where did she come from? Even and and we'll t- you know I think if we're ready to go over to the women's race, even Lacombe was like, where did she come from? You, yeah. you look at some of the older results. In fact, if if we want to like move over, did any of y'all want to add any other thing to U twenty three races? I guess we, who won the? Was there anything worth talking about in the in the men's well, race? Uh, the North Americans represented. Uh, it was I think Carter Woods Carter from Woods Canada. Won, so we had a yeah, Canadian right. one and um. I forget if it's if it's Amos Riley or Riley, Riley Amos, Amos yeah. uh, finished in fifth. <laughs> yeah. So two really good results from the North Americans. So that was definitely uh, encouraging to see, I guess, on this podcast because they don't race like lacrosse. We don't like them incur as much. But, I mean, it's really awesome to see as we branch out. We're a mountain bike podcast now, too. Uh, it's awesome to see North Americans do really well and see that young talent. Uh, you know, especially we're seeing – on the U.S. side, we've had Nika. You know, there's just these these races are loaded with with kids. You know, younger kids racing, and so hopefully we'll just start to see some of the uh, the benefits of that program uh, on the international level, and uh, we perhaps already have. Well, and I was just looking at the time splits, and it looks like that U23 men's race was a banger. I mean, it was 30 seconds only to fifth place, so the top five are all within 34 seconds of each other. Where Mona put two and a half minutes into second place in the U23 women. So maybe we sense a theme here. And and, I, and Elizabeth, I, I think you're so right in that. I, I don't, I don't get it. I, I just, it's got, it's only resources as far as operators and technical staff, all of the infrastructure for this race. I mean, the great thing about the world cup mountain bikes, they've already been in the Czech Republic since Monday, everything's set up, everything's ready to go. It, they could just flip on the cameras if they had operators and go. So I, I, I don't know. I don't understand what the, 
It's, I'm sure it's money. I guess I do understand, but gosh, it would be so great for them just to turn yeah, on. It, the... it, it shouldn't be stopping it because, I mean, these courses too, I mean, you look at this, like I spent some of my, when there was no racing pandemic time, watching old mountain bike races because of being starved for content. And the way that things have, the courses have changed to be just, they're built for broadcast. I mean, yep. mountain biking has figured this out. Red Bull has figured this out. And it is, uh, it's, it's truly incredible how good the coverage is. And to think that you've got everything there and you couldn't hire a crew for a day yeah. for a few more hours. Yeah. It's, it's disappointing. And, and you're absolutely right. Red Bull has changed mountain biking. I mean, the broadcast has completely changed mountain biking to the point that if you go someplace like Andorra and you're walking around the woods in Andorra and you're like, there are so many just mind blowing features here that we could be on, but it doesn't fit the broadcast. Like it's, you know, it'll be too far out this way or right. one tie back into this way. Like they even used to have it, you know, 10 years ago, these features will be there. We're like, no, we have to like, you know, consolidate everything. So it's the best viewing, you know, p- possibilities. So, which, so I guess it's good and bad. I think, I mean, for the most part, I think it's good, but it, I think it's good, right? I mean, like I know people yeah. have grown about you're losing. It's not real mountain biking, but what is it? it's growing the audience, and that, and that's and that's bringing the viewers and the money, and it's like yeah, it's exciting. What, what? <laughs> it's exciting racing now. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, we had the same discussion I think last year on the the media pit for cyclocross too, talking about domestic racing. Is we're so always so obsessed to be like we have the coolest features and have to have the riders just love every second of the race they're in. And, you know, we made the argument that maybe you should find a big bowl like charm city where it's more important (laughs) to have, but it's maybe more important to make a more easily broadcast. If you want to be able to produce content to grow the sport, as opposed to just making the riders happy, you know, and have like the small select number of them, you know, like some of the old timers, you might see carping about how it's just not the same. Um, but instead we can all watch it and get really stoked about it. And the course is still look pretty dope. So, yeah. Yeah. looks hard. The one, the one thing I'll note about Alpshack course wise, they added, they, they did a couple course changes from last year. They added one more little wooden section. It looked like, but the big change that I saw that was interesting was the drop that they put in, I think in 17, this huge drop, they just flattened that thing out this year. It was nothing compared to what it had been in, in years past, which I'm sure a lot of riders were more than happy with. Cause that was, and that was, that, that may have been one of my, you know, most watched Instagram posts when that thing first happened. I was just like on top of it, shooting down of people just trying to figure out this drop. And that's, it definitely isn't what it used to be. And I think, I'm not sure the, 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 you know, they added a, they added more climbing a couple years ago. And I think that really has just become the, the, the biggest feature, even the logs, the place that Flukiger just launched himself out of contention a few years ago. That's, that seems a lot like they took some of those jumps out at the end. Well, and this is maybe the first time I could remember in a while, at least that it was dry for the cross country race. And so a lot of those features that were terrifying, um, were a lot more safe. Yeah. The wet, um, the I wet mean, chicken wire was not a good look. Right. Yeah. 
because um, I think that was the 2019 race. It was like, it's sunny out, but this is all wet and everybody's falling. Um, well, and then, you know, there's that, the section that looks totally innocuous that you've come down all the drops where Rizved's had a really bad crash. Um, I think maybe 2016 or 17, 17, maybe. Um, that's like after you've been on all of the mountains and you come down and you're kind of going down this little snake before you come back into the the start finish and flyovers and um you know seeing that drive it's like oh yeah i mean it still looks like it's got some decent off camber to it and is probably super terrifying for a mere mortal but um and lars forster crashed there in 2019 so same thing it was this thing like you look at it on tv like doesn't look like much but here's going to be my lead into the is. to the women's race this is the 2019 U23 women's results from Alpstadt. Laura Stigger won. Haley Batten was third. Helene Clausel was fifth. Scroll down. Luana LeCompte was tenth. Wow. Just nowhere in the picture. And you look at it, and just from that to what we saw at Nova Mesto last year to now, it's it would be hard to find a a a bigger trajectory to the front. And she was on nobody's radar when this was like Stigger was like, oh yeah, look out for her. She's going to be something. You know, this is even even Haley in that race, just like okay, that's I think that was that was the one race where we were like okay. We can we can see something in the future for her, but and even Clausel, but like uh, Lacan, weren't even thinking about her, and now now it's she's untouchable. But let's talk about yeah. this women's race. Who wants to get into it? <sighs> well, I, I I mean, guess like I, I kind of alluded to uh, my my feel, feelings about. I guess this will be part a question and part a comment, but um, I guess, you know, we talked about in the men's race, there was this uh, overwhelming sense of urgency uh, to, you know, even like in the short track race, as well as the, uh, the, uh, the XCO race where Vanderpool went, it's like, they were pushing pretty hard. Uh, and I felt like, you know, uh, Terpster went out, uh, she gave a nice lead out uh, to LeCompte. But like when LeCompte won, it seems like Courtney was the only one of, I guess, the toppers. And I, you know, we could argue about how many toppers there really are. But I, I guess I felt like Ferran Prevost fell asleep at the wheel. Like she was in ninth place. Uh, and I mean, she, she lost the race. Like it was one of those where the race was over in six minutes, uh, you know, because we saw where, and Courtney, to, to her credit, she did everything she could. She saw what was happening. She's like, I need to get on that wheel, but uh, came up a little short. And it's just like the race, it was one of those races where the race was over in, in six minutes, literally. Yeah, I think, I mean, I saw, so I was, you know, I was taking my notes while I was watching. And then, uh, because I always, I feel like I like, I get into this position of I get toward the end and I think it looked like it was inevitable from the very beginning. So I was trying to keep myself honest on this. And I wrote down in that prologue that Fran Prevost moved up quickly when she sensed that a real move was happening. So you have Terpster going at the beginning and you have Kate is covering it. And then when that started to fall apart a little bit and LeCompte moved up and, and then the next attack goes and Pauline made her way up there, but 
it like LeConte had more to give and just kept drilling at a point where Pauline maybe thought like, all right, that's that early thing. We're going to, you know, it's going to chill out now. And that the leash was, was too long and she, you know, didn't bring it back in. Um, which is, you know, was a mistake, like looking at what LeConte could do last year too. And I'm really pretty, I mean, I'm pretty surprised at the same time they're looking for Olympic spots and they're buddies. And so there's a piece of this where they, you know, if they can bid for two Olympic spots, maybe there's a point at which Pauline is also hedging her bets on like, of course she wants to win and she's the world champ, but, um, which threats do and don't need to be covered. And if you're playing the Patriot, maybe this is hmm. another factor in there. So here's my question for you, Elizabeth. Uh, we saw, you know, it was a reoccurring theme on the media pit with uh, Denise Batsma, the writer that, you know, not very popular in America or whatever, but we saw where she just had like, you know, at Berenjin and she just had like these, they called it the shock and awe where she went and they were like, the first couple of times it happened, you know, uh, Brand and Alvarado just kind of weren't wise to it and they let it go too far and the race was over. And we saw where there was that sense of urgency. I mean, you saw it Worlds where Lucinda Brand was killing herself to close that gap early on because we all knew what Betsima was trying to do. So going in, you have a little bit of a different course. It's a little bit punchier. It's not as straight, you know, not as climby as maybe Alpstadt. So like, how does Ferran Prevo change does she change her strategy? Does she follow if that move happens? You know, what what do you think she's going to be doing or looking for in the next race coming up? Yeah, I think Nova Mesto is is going to not allow for the same sort of gap um, because of the lack of climbing. I think again, I, I you know she could play play this wrong um, again, but uh, I don't think, and, and I think there's. I, I, I don't think it's as likely to be as big of a gap at Nova Mesto, but I still think that LeConte has a very good chance of riding away with the race because she just seems so, so on, on form at this point. Like she looks really fit, uh, like just sort of incredibly fit. Like she does her victory salute and her biceps just pop and like, wow. Okay. Um, you're very, very trim. Um, so and 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 just you know seems to have a like a young confidence to her um where it's still like mixed with that a bit of awe and i mean you know bill you pull up those old results and like she's just this is like astronomical rise and that it's like a it's a potent cocktail if you kind of can't believe where you are and you're doing really well um and you know it so but I, I think like the Nova Mesto course just allows for a lot more like you don't have. I mean, you have a couple like really fucking miserable climbs, but it's not all fucking miserable climbs. It's like one particularly difficult one, um, which I might add Laura Steger crushed last year on her hardtail, uh, like going past all of these people on, you know, full suspension bikes. And she's just like mashing through it on a hardtail like it's nobody's business so um i think you know and, and i think 
maybe she ended up like fourth there last year or something like that. she was she was up there um and had a very good race so i there are just like there are other people who like nova mesto is a course that they love and it brings out something special in some racers who often don't have good races elsewhere yeah it's it's an interesting one too because it looks like if you look at it I, i'm not gonna ride it it looks super technical there's all these like just crazy rock sections but i think if you ask the riders they don't think it's that technical it's just stuff you you roll over real fast i think one of the things that that we can't overlook at this albstadt race and yes they all knew lecomte they i mean as elizabeth says she had this dream season what a better way to get your confidence you what win win once in nova mesto you come back you get second and then you win the world championship in the u23 that's you know there's there's not a lot of negative to take away from that year and you come in here and you're you're flying again i really think the heat played a factor into this. And once she got that lead, there was a lot of how deep can I go without completely blowing up in this race and just not being able to continue. I mean, we saw, we saw it with, uh, Celine Alvarado where we were really interested to see what she did. She only made it a lap and she said it was the heat. She just was not prepared to race in those conditions. And you're talking about Friday morning, they're racing the short track, before, you know, Friday afternoon, Friday morning, it's snowing in Alpstadt. It's 30 degrees Celsius. It's like close to 90 degrees Fahrenheit race day on Sunday. It's just insane. And I think a lot of people did not respond to that. And once you see that up the road and know how much deeper you have to go on these steep climbs, I think that, that I think you're right, Zach, that it was like, oops, it went too far and there's just no bringing it back at this yeah. point. And I think that was another thing. I think uh, Yolanda Neff was writing that the pollen was really bad too. So uh, you know, you combine that heat and pollen after. I mean, that's the, like in Switzerland they were racing while it was actively snowing. So that heat shock, like your body just hasn't had a chance to adjust unless you're particularly good at doing that too. So I yeah, totally agree, Bill. Like, and I don't think that's going to be the, that case in Nova Mesto. It's not supposed to be that hot. So I was debating about this, whether or not I wanted to do this, and I'm going to do it. So I feel like, so, you know, I saw from Yolanda Neff, she's like, oh, it was my hay fever. And she had a really, like, very, like, is Yolanda back, I think was an interesting uh, no, then yes, and then whoa. (laughs) It was, like, very much a roller coaster. But, like, Vanderpool, you know, blamed his back or whatever. Um, But I look at, like, John Jackson did not have the best race. She's just like, I sucked. So how good do you have to be where you get to make excuses for your poor performances where people are sympathetic to you? Because mm. if Jen was like blaming shit, everyone would be like, you finished 38th, you suck. Like, and she was just, she owned it. She's like, I sucked. I was terrible. Um, and I, and I respect that. And I get, I don't know. I guess I've just always got like cyclists who make excuses. Like, why don't you just say I was no good. Well, and I guess, Maybe in my mind, it's like there's not even a question of necessarily like, are you sympathetic to it? Um, I think this is I'm going to put a very different lens on this for professionals in professional bike races than I do for elite amateurs or amateurs. So let me just make a very clear distinction in that um, before I get extra shady. Uh, But I think in the in the the top level pros um a lot of times i think and it depends and like okay so i work in communications and in pr 
language, I have a background in language and linguistics, like word choice matters a lot. Um, and the way you frame things matters a lot. And there's a big difference. And maybe this is also the difference between the way pros, many pros talk about things and the way elite amateurs talk about things is there's a difference between sort of explaining like what's going on and making excuses for your performance um, where you are, you know, and, and like I, you know, I read Neff's thing and I also in watching her race, it's like, yeah, okay. So you felt like pretty good and then you felt awful and <laughs> that's just kind of what happens. And, you know, you would have liked to do better. As a side note, I thought it was adorable to watch her and Maya Voskoya come across the finish line together like old teammate buddies. Um, so that was a fun aside. Um, and, you know, Vanderpool, same thing. He's like, he's just stoked to be back racing. He's mountain bike. He didn't perform at the level that he wanted to. He's looking forward to resetting and going in next weekend. Like, okay. Um, and I think, you know, like all power to people who want to own up and say like, I sucked, but I think at the same level, like there's a certain degrees, like it doesn't, there's a difference where it doesn't strike me as like looking for sympathy or making excuses. Whereas the same kind of content from somebody um, at a different level might really come across as, as making excuses or blaming it. So it's more, more, anal more analytical, more like going through the systems checks. This is what, worked. Right. this one, this is what didn't. What do you guys think about Vanderpool, him talking about his back hurting? Do you think that he has back issues or do you think that he just had a hard race? I, yeah, hard I mean, like, race. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, he's I mean, back on the mountain bike, like first mountain bike race in two years, like your back's going to hurt. <laughs> right. A lot of climbing, yeah. completely different. Yeah. I just, yeah, I just, he, that was his sort of post after the race. And it's like, instead of saying, yeah, I went too hard. Um, the first lap or second lap and I paid for it. It was like, ah, my back hurts. It's like, yeah, your back hurts. Cause you went too hard. Right. <laughs> uh, all right. But that's kind of the point I'm making is like, if he was maybe, I mean, he could have said like, bad strategy or something and i don't right. i don't know i just i guess i'm always keen to it I, I always get annoyed i guess I, and you see it a lot at the amateur level like oh this didn't go well and this didn't go well and uh, maybe i'm the worst like you guys know me i'm just like yeah i was terrible so <laughs> like i'm really terrible about making excuses i'm just like yeah i'm the worst and that race was no good and so maybe i'm just a little keen to that just, kind of thing i, I would get no, I, I would give Vanderpool the benefit of the doubt in this and that the, the times that he says, you know, oh, you know, if this didn't go wrong or this didn't go wrong, I think I could have done this. And then just like he did at Nova Meso years ago, where he was like, hey, if I didn't crash twice, I thought I could have been on the podium. And everybody was like, yeah, whatever, kid. And then he comes back next week and does it. You know, so that's that's kind of the thing. So I think that maybe give him the benefit of the doubt until we see what he does next week. Yeah. Well, and I mean, if we're going to talk about somebody doing this notoriously, Avancini does his pre-race interview, like, I'm going for the overall World Cup overall this year, and then does what, like, 10th? He got 10th. Well, he got sold a bill of goods by Vanderpool in that first, that first attack. That's what he kind of left him out to dry. That was my... I was like, wow, buddy, you uh, really took the bait there, huh? Yeah, but he's like, I mean, Avancini is like, he does this all, like, so many of his post-race interviews, like, well, the best person didn't win today because he didn't win. Like, nah, buddy, 
You didn't win. You thought you were the best. Wow. You were not the best. Fantastic. I got some hot I, takes on Avancini. I'm sorry. I, I love I love learning. I, the fun thing about this weekend, I, I watched, um, sat down and watched the men's race. And I tried to, you know, I came out with a completely like, I've watched mountain bike racing before, but I'm really trying to come at it with the, the media pit lens. Um, the, the, the deep dive we do for cyclocross and I'm love learning all these, these new riders and the characters and the storylines and their kits. And, um, yeah, so I love to hear this stuff about these, uh, these, about Avancini cause I, I'm a, I'm a fan. I mean, you know, he's a, he's from South America. He's one of the only flags that's from the other, uh, continent. So I don't know. Before we get too much too far into the men's race i think we have to talk about the the u.s battle happening in third and fourth place coming into this race you know kate courtney was a favorite to win to win this race we're all you know expecting her to do well she's up there and she's doing fine and then there is sort of this blip on everybody's radar uh i think at one uh, the after with five to go Haley batten was 40 seconds down and great race looking at the top 10 pretty stoked for her amazing couple laps later lo and behold here she is with Kate Courtney. Awesome. Sticked it out wheel, Haley. This is going to be an awesome finish for you. You're going to get on the wide angle podium. Perfect. And then you get to that climb and all of a sudden Haley Batten's like, Hey Kate, it's been nice hanging out. I'm leaving. See you later. And just takes off. And it was just amazing. I mean, what a freaking elite debut. Just really, really, really cool for her. I, I cannot be more excited, you know, having spent time with her on the cliff team, just I'm not, I'm not surprised. Let's say that I'm not, I was surprised at the time because it was such an amazing result, but overall for what I think we all know that she can do, not surprised. Before we, I, Elizabeth, I'm guessing that you have you know lots to say in background, um, but I do have to say, a little disappointed, you know, and shout shout out to Cross Results and our friend at Cyclocross 24 for making easily available results. And I think that is, you know, for us learning the sport, that's part of the challenge that you can't, it's really hard to like go back and be like, what does do? But like, you, you can brush up pretty quick on like a Cyclocross racer's history. But I, I guess I'd be curious if you guys can remember any time that Haley Batten has beaten Kate Courtney in a race. Uh, and I was disappointed that I couldn't look that up because I think that would be an interesting thing, especially if it happened to be the first time that she's ever beaten Kate Courtney. That would be like super exciting or whatever. Um, but kind of challenging unless there is a source out there. Let us know. Yeah, I'm trying to think back of some of the of domestic thing. And the thing was like when Haley was doing more domestic races, I think Kate would be out front. I'm thinking like Benelli and yeah. and uh, even even the epic races that she showed up for. But then she'd go to Europe and so they would, wouldn't be on the same same course, same time. Yeah, I think that they've probably actually not done all of that many races being in the same field together, would be my guess. But they're friends. Like, they tra- they you know, they've trained together. And that's, I mean, I'll sort of start at the finish, which is if you caught the post-finish line between the two of them, it's amazing. Um, 
Kate is so beyond stoked. And like, even if you see the the wide shot when Haley is about to cross the finish line, Kate's in the background and he's pointing at her like, yes, you did it. She's so stoked. And then at the, after the finish line, and there's one of the recap clips from um, Red Bull, like I don't remember if it's the highlights reel or one of them has audio from that. And Kate says, we're going to have so much fun in Tokyo because this has been the the storyline that Haley wasn't even part of with the Olympics being in 2020 that she's now part of for 2021 is the U.S. has three spots, has had four riders in contention. Haley becomes the fifth rider in contention for those three spots. And this was her breakout ride to do that. And like, I wrote down like on lap two, I'm like breakthrough ride for Batten. She's like in the top 10 at that point. Right. She hasn't moved all the way up, but this is, it's huge in this. And I mean, full props. Like I, I can't get enough of the story of the U S women all training for those Tokyo spots together, knowing that someone's not going to get to go and all being all in to go, you know, like Leah Davison and Aaron Huck and Chloe Woodruff going to all of these random races in 2019 to try to get points, to try to keep those spots for the selection. And I mean, now it's like, two of them aren't going to get to go. Um, and it all comes huge. down. Well, at least it can be determined next weekend or this coming right. weekend on Sunday. Cause that right. is, the, that is Nova Mesto is the Olympic qualifier for the U S team. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, that was, uh, it was huge. Like, I, and I don't know, you know, in that bit where, you know, watching, like, I think it was hard to tell whether they were working together not working together at what point there was some animosity or not about who was going to do what, like, but it didn't really matter. I mean, it was great because I think either way they were pushing, they were pushing each other, whether they were had any sort of agreement or not, they were pushing each other to stay in that third and fourth spot. Uh, and I mean, wow, what a ride. I also props to, uh, Nika for their media team getting right on that and posting a podium mm-hmm. picture of a uh, podium picture of them and shouting out that it's two Nike athletes uh, on the, uh, on the world cup podium. Pretty cool. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that Kate Courtney is never happy about anybody passing her. It's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> but the genuine, I mean the genuine excitement for her, for Haley getting the third place spot. And after, I mean, it's, I encourage everybody like go back and watch that little bit. And it's just great that somebody with a camera was there and caught the sound. Um, because it's just super beautiful. Like Haley's just sobbing and excited and Kate's like, we're going to have so much fun. So it's, it's, that's the kind of stuff that like sports movies are made of. It's just perfect. Here's another tidbit that I gleaned from uh, just checking out her Instagram. I believe she was also a cross-country skiing racer. So I feel like at this point, like if you want to have an endurance athlete star in biking and you're not putting your kid in uh, cross-country skiing, I really feel like you're doing them a disservice. You know, if you want to, if you, if you have like unachieved glory uh, to be achieved through your children, um, I would get them in a cross-country ski program. Anybody else we want to talk about in that women's race or should we uh, move on over to the men's? 
Man, I was I was not joking about burying the lead uh, about <laughs> uh, Michael's boy Picante uh, Pitters Pidcock. I mean, usually we cut it an hour. We're over an hour. We still yeah. haven't talked. I'm impressed. I am uh, Elizabeth. I'm glad you tweet. I, I think something good came out of Twitter. This has been so great, and we're just now we're getting to Tom Pidcock. <laughs> Oh, and there was a great race, too. Oh, yeah, and, and the rest of the other uh, male riders in this field. Um, yeah. So this is this is how it went, played out in my house, is that I didn't wake up in time to watch the women's race, but uh, I was able to watch the men's race and replay, and then my girlfriend was like, which race should I start with? And I was like, well, there are a lot of stories in that men's race. So start there, and then we'll, we can watch the women's race together. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I think this... Yeah, where where do we start with the men's race? Um, I think Vanderpool probably starts it off in a big way. Um, I mean, do, what did you guys did you think? I I my friend was watch was watching the replay, and he posted on Instagram. He's like, "Wow, Vanderpool destroying mountain bike racing." And I sent a message like, "How far are you in?" He's like, "Lap two. I'm like, "Okay, come back to me in a bit." I mean, I don't know. I think that like I, it struck me as like ill-advised. I mean, it seems like based on what I know, not a good course for him in terms of just because it is more climbing. And as um, Robin Bart kept pointing out, he's a big guy, which is just hilarious. But I mean, his his skill set is is a little bit punchier climber. I mean, not to take anything away, but he's not a pure climber on a, a course like that. And I don't know. It just seems like it might have been a. Maybe it was overzealousness. Maybe it was an attempt at like a flex. I don't know, but I it seemed ill-advised. Can we just give a shout out here to start to the uh, Red Bull producers who between, I think, lap two and lap three gave Bart and Rob a complete history of Matthew Vanderpool's road racing this year because they went from he hasn't raced a bike since cyclocross to oh well you know in Strata Bianca when he was leaving Olive yeah. Leap coming up the final climb and this knowledge just instantly appeared into their brains from <laughs> who knows where. Can we also talk though about how they were like man Pitcock and Vanderpool are just they they're so used to racing on the road those long races I as if there wasn't some <laughs> other sort of discipline where you might race for, let's say, an hour to an hour and 10 minutes that's very intense. I don't know. I don't know if they've done that before, but like, I just, it just completely, uh, I don't know. It just seems like they completely forgot about, I don't know what the discipline is. Maybe it's mountain bike eliminator. I don't know. So is it, the best thing about watching mountain biking is that you get to be aggrieved again as a cyclocross fan that no one knows your favorite riders. Like you just get to do it, like just like road season now, I'm like, ugh. How do you not know about cyclocross? It's even more insular than road, (laughs) which is amazing. They're just like, Bart is a Dutch guy and he didn't know who Vanderpool was. And he does now, but like a couple of years ago, no idea. Just no clue. No clue. Well, I mean, he does rep the American Eagle bike brand. So this is true. (laughs) His Dutch nationalism may not run so deep. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so this I I thought I saw that I don't know I saw that move by Vanderpool and maybe maybe his back issues were even like he was gonna like fake it until he made it or something but that seemed even for him that seemed like an ill conceived move but I think I think Michael you may have been onto something I think maybe his thought was 
is sort of the same as a short track. I'm going to go Nino will be there, you know, uh, maybe some of these other guys will be there and we'll have a nice little group and then we can just sort of chill out and, and race off the front and none of them were buying it and they just didn't go and it just didn't, it didn't happen. I, I'd be really curious to know about that, that what if he just didn't feel like he was feeling well or, or what happened in the beginning, but it just was not. Or I mean, or he went too hard and Avancini was the only one who decided to go all in and then really paid for it in the end. I mean, I think, like, maybe Nino just couldn't, you know, we saw him cover the moves in short track, but, like, those were smaller, and he still took time to build up the Vanderbilt. This was, like, a Watt bomb that really just, like... It's also like, It also might be muscle memory. A, a couple of years ago, it was Avancini, Vanderpool, and Nino uh, off the front at Obstadt, and maybe Vanderpool's just like, well, this is what we did last time. Let's do this again. And right. Well, and making a big attack in the heat for the first time is like you could get in over your head real quick uh, on thinking that's going to work out. And then it it really doesn't. And I mean, there was a point, I think, sort of midway through Vanderpool's like furiously eating. And I'm like, oh, thank God. Like, OK, <laughs> let's see if he's got a second wind after this. Um, but you know, it's that, that problem of like, oh, wait, yeah, you need to adjust to this other weird thing that's between the long road races and the short cross races that's somewhere in the middle. And oh, by the way, it's 90 degrees out. So let's, let's start from the top and we'll, we'll continue to bury the lead here a little bit on, on Pidcock, but when it finally started to shake out, it was a race of really Three guys with the, as as we were calling him, the Czech dangler, uh, Andre Singh. Would that be the, uh, would that be the changler? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was like right there the whole time. But it was Victor Koretsky, Nino Scherter, and Matthias Flukiger. Here's my question for you all. Without the dropper post issues, do you know it looked like Flukiger was the strongest guy out there? By far, I mean, oh, yeah. without that, it's kind of it's kind of his race to lose, which just kind of sucks that it comes down to a mechanical issue, and also it sucks because then it brings in all of the uh, uh, classic mountain bike bros who are like, "Oh, you don't need a dropper in cross country; it's dumb." And sort but of, but it's great. A, oh, it's. <laughs> It'll be it's in, fucking great. Yeah. Like those are big long descents and Flickinger was killing the descents because he had a dropper post. I'm just going to put it out there. That really helps for that. He looked great on the descents. It sucks that it wouldn't come back up. Yeah, but it, you, you know to go down you also have to go up and and for those that watch the race I saw it that was just it was just oh brutal to watch him have to be out of the saddle up these long climbs and still, still staying with them. I mean, still yeah. right there, which was, was, was pretty amazing. Uh, to, let's just like work through to the end of the race. Cause I think that just the, the, for the, for the win, w- one of the best final laps, we've seen some really good ones in world cup races, but this is right up there at the top with just an amazing battle between Koretsky and, Sheridan, as we said, you know, Sheridan just showing that pop, showing that killer instinct. And he knows, and this is the thing I think that he has learned now. 
is that he is not going to be able to drop people at the end and he just has to keep keep trying and keep going and hoping that something sticks and Koretsky was just was just glued to him where it looked like Nino may pull it off they have this long kind of technical descent coming into the finish that I, I'd love to see splits on it because I'll bet Nino put in the fastest lap on that section in that descent. It was basically like, take these breaks. I don't need them anymore. And he just like flew down this hill, got a gap on Koretsky. And, we, you know, just like we were talking about in the short track, the, you're not going to win it on the sprint. Once you're on the asphalt, it's over. So you got to be first when you come out of that descent and into it. And Kretzky just pulls off this move. He gets back onto his wheel, into the little um, uh, uh, wall ride, and then just like scoots in front of him right before this rhythm section at the end. Just, just amazing, you know, to take the seven-time world champ and just school him like that at the end of the race was just, just fantastic. Just, just an amazing end to that race. A, a well-deserved victory. Well, so you had the the descent and, you know, they were talking the broadcast. They're like, it's a sprint, you know, the finish before the finish is it's a sprint to that descent. And I guess I was I thought it was kind of curious because Koretsky had really never stuck his nose into the wind. I mean, he was always second wheel, like just kind of right. there chilling. So, you know, would Flukager have beaten him? I don't know, because it seems like he was pretty comfortable where he was. Uh, but he didn't go for it. They get to the top, and he lets Nino go first, and Nino absolutely shreds that descent. Uh, and I just kind of wonder how much confidence he got from because he finished second in the short track race. He beat Nino, and I kind of wonder if he was just like because there was a false flat, uh, and then the spot that he made his move. And I just kind of wonder to the extent to which he's like, "No, I'm good. I'm good. Like, I got. I can do this. I just did it the other day." Um, mm-hmm. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I think he just, yeah. he was, he was not, he was not, he, he was keeping it in reserve. I think he was just, he had that match or a couple of them that he's just keeping dry and, and just played it perfectly. Uh, Cause I expected it to be a full on sprint at the top of that hill. At some point he would attack, he'd go over the top, he'd lead into the descent, be like, all right, I'm going to lead out into this. So I guess to me, it was kind of a, an interesting choice, but then you also, you had that false flat, like that false flat was definitely uh, played a role in terms of like being able to to put about a huge amount of power and, and Nino went for it. I mean, the dude buried himself, <laughs> yep. uh, which, you know, again, made it, made it a great finish. Um, but yeah, to your point then, I guess ultimately it was a sprint to the final corner because whoever got to that corner first was going to, was going to win the sprint. All right. We got the top three out of the way. Now, Zach, now, now, Michael, <laughs> Elizabeth, it's time to talk about top pickcock. The greatest British cycling talent ever. I mean, I heard that thrown around a lot during the broadcast, and I'm I need to I need to phone some of my British friends. But like, I'm wondering like, how's Wigo feeling about that? Um, how's Chris Hoy uh, feeling I, about that? Chris Hoy, yeah. Uh, what Tom Simpson, um, Tracy anyway, Mosley, I mean, plenty of. How much of it is just a dig at Rob Warner, though? <laughs> right. It's not <laughs> Rob Warner. <laughs> well, I I don't know. I mean, I guess we've talked about this too in the media pit. I feel like the the game is changing. You know, you talk about like pure talent and like you have to be a multidisciplined star now. And it's like I think that's part of it is showing 
the level of talent, you know, I, I may be a, you know, a guy who does amazing things on the road, but like that's their focus. And we're seeing athletes in all, you know, both men and women who can do it all in like all these different disciplines. And it's hard, it's hard to not look at that uh, and be like, oh, here's a guy, Tom Pitcock, who's, you know, uh, beating Watt Van Aert in a road race. Uh, getting jobbed by technology against Watt Van Aert in a road race, uh, and then coming back and finishing top five in a mountain bike World Cup, like that just didn't happen. It rarely happened. It definitely happened. You know, on the women's side, we've seen cross discipline stars for for years, but on the men's side, it just didn't happen. So it's hard not to look at this and be like, the sheer amount of talent that a Vanderpool or a Pidcock, um has is just something that we we haven't seen, and maybe that's why there's this this desire to be like. I mean, he yeah. just like was like, "Hey, I'm gonna race mountain bikes, and I'm better than every U23 in the world." And I just picked up this. This is my first race. <laughs> no biggie. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I think, I mean, you know, he legit had a U23 racing career on the mountain bike. Um, so it's not like where Vanderpool really, you know, didn't come in with that. Like Pidcock was racing mountain bikes. Um, was you know very good at it younger, and I think it's. But I, I'm honestly like, I think the biggest thing for me was I thought when he signed with Ineos that that meant he wasn't going to be mountain bike racing. Um, and so it's, you know, it's actually kind of was kind of surprising to me that he was able to have that kind of leverage with that kind of team um, to be able to be doing that. Um, and, you know, because, and, and I think in some ways Vanderpool paved the way for that right. to be right. an option for Pidcock because he was basically like, no, I mean, this is, this is what I'm doing and what I want to do. And therefore I will do it. And I'm Matthew Vanderpool and you cannot tell me otherwise. And for Pidcock to be able to have that kind of leverage with a team like Ineos is pretty amazing. Yes. Especially since, you know, one of the things about Vanderpool, I think, and one of the reasons that that team was built the way it was, and they have Canyon as a partner was because Canyon could supply him with, top level bikes for all of the disciplines that he wanted to do. Ineos doesn't have a bike for him to ride. <laughs> he's, you know, he's, he's out there and people are like criticizing his fork and, you know, and, uh, evidently his tires can't hold air and he's got a, you know, a rebrand or a no branded BMC frame and, uh, just he's not riding a Hakalugi. No, he's not. He's uh, he's he's getting um, he's getting a Pauline from Provost hand me downs for for frames. Um, Can I? I think just I want to make a note about uh, Ineos and Pidcock, and I'm wondering. I think I agree with you that a lot of that that, that Vanderpool has set the sort of the the way to, the way to move forward. But like when you look at Ineos's team, like they are so stacked. Um, and we're hitting the grand tours that like, it makes a lot of sense to port off some of their talent to sort of relieve some of the pressure within the team. You know, I, I just, yeah, like it, 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 they are only getting good things out of putting or letting, you know, uh, their star, um, race mountain bikes. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, you know, hopefully it'll open it up for other people on it. I mean, I think that's that we're seeing the, you know, it's, we, we can always like, we'll always look back at, at uh Vanderpool and Wout who are doing because they want to do it what women racers have been doing for years uh you know racing multiple disciplines for the women was because I need to make a living and I need to race as much as I possibly can for the men it's more folly I 
these are things that I really want to do and, and, and explores. And, and now they're, they're kind of breaking down those, those traditional walls that didn't allow that to happen. So I, I think that that's more and more is going to be. And of course, you know, we know with Wout and Matthew Vanderpool where every pro racer is now like, well, I need to go race cyclocross because that's how you get fast evidently. So hopefully, you know, we saw a little bit more of that and hopefully it will, it will continue to change, but just about this race and where he started 11th row. Is that right? And this was, I, I will, I will take the hit for this. I was like, you can't, you can't move up. You, you, you're just, you know, I think if he gets into that top 16, which is what he wants to do. So he'll be in the top 40 in the UCI points and then be able to race the short track for Nova Mesto. That's going to be an amazing feat. And that is a, that's a great goal and something that I hope that he could achieve. Zach lap one, lap, lap one, yeah. <laughs> it's done. Right. He could just go home. He could have, uh, you know, coasted the rest I think of the he, way. One I, lap I, into I was, the race. I, I can't, I can't find the, the, the thing. I think he had the fastest lap. He did. On, yeah. And, yeah. And it was that uh, first lap. lap one. Yeah. yeah. With, traffic, With traffic, he had the fastest lap. Yeah. Wow. Which means that he just I, up those hills was just, must've been just insane. Right. That's where I, that, right. that was the place that you could, could make those passes. I yeah. bet he got. Did we see a, the thing? Is like you can't even see a start either. But I'll bet he had a little cyclocross. And I've been I've been weaving through pelotons here all spring. I kind of know how to move to the front. He 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 held no punches. Like he definitely <laughs> was making extraordinarily aggressive passes. There's an interview with him where he's like, "Yeah, I'm just gonna cut people off." Um, <laughs> and he got a little squirrely there once. He had oh, a, yeah. like you know had a had a tripod around a corner and got a little uh, little out of controls. Good stuff. A little argy bargy. Yeah. Well, and I think I mean it was uh, yeah hot taken in our living room viewing because so my husband is a Vanderpool super fan. My husband is Dutch, so there's also that, and he's a Vanderpool super fan. So the big point was like the yardstick of comparison from Vanderpool's World Cup mountain bike debut starting. From from a similarly far back in the field place, not quite as far back, but pretty far back. And he moved his way up to seventh and like, how long did it take? But the cameras had no idea. Right. And so there was this whole thing then that, you know, cameras aren't paying attention. Obviously producers got the memo this time, the shot callers on Pidcock from the beginning, this is the narrative. And we're going to, you know, we get to see a little bit more of that. Um, but that was that, that sort of yardstick. And it, you know, obviously Pidcock, just destroyed his move up through the field and then you know finished fifth as opposed to Vanderpool's debut finishing seventh so and if anyone knew who was capable of it Vanderpool knew that it was possible and he knew that Pidcock could do it and I think that's also like to Vanderpool's credit like he did not doubt that Pidcock would be up in the front I don't know what the UCI rules are, but I feel like uh, Red Bull really dropped the ball here. I, look, we all knew it was going to happen. We knew a million dudes were going to be passed. Put a GoPro on his bike. Like, why not? Like, I want the footy. Like, hook that. I, I want to see Tom Pickcock passing a million dudes because we all knew it was going to happen. Like, it was inevitable. I feel like they kind of dropped the ball. But, Elizabeth, you're right. I think that was the 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 art stick. I I guess I misremembered as eighth, but you know, seventh, oh, eighth, maybe like it was beating eighth. Van- I could be misremembering too. <laughs> but beating Vanderpool, Vanderpool put the the marker down. So it is kind of interesting that Pickock to me is achieving this success because I think 
you know, I call him Vanderpool's mini me. And I guess it's tough to, to gauge the level of success he's having because he's not better than him at cyclocross yet. I mean, he is like what, four or five years younger. Beat um, him once. He's not once. Yes. But consistently, <laughs> but like, he's not there and it's just trying to gauge like what his ceiling is trying to remember where Vanderpool was at the same age, because right now you're like, Oh, well, Vanderpool's still better. Vanderpool still is toying with the road Peloton and, you know, Pidcock really had his biggest success in the, as Wout did in the post Vanderpool uh, races. So it's just kind of interesting to see, you know, and try to gauge what his ceiling is, especially vis-a-vis Vanderpool, because I think Vanderpool has set the standard in his three disciplines. I will say that GoPro is a sponsor of the World Cup. So total fail. <laughs> I don't know if they go bikes on. It's, it's kind of funny because they'll have the cameras set up, like they'll have one at the finish line, and then they have like two gopro dudes just sprinting around the course with gopros on sticks and stuff but i I don't think i don't think anybody actually has them on the bike during their race probably because they don't want that extra three grams so can we i want to i have a noob question and i think it ties into this this uh the race um a b lines which as a cyclocross fan this is it's a new thing right i mean I don't think I've ever seen, I mean, sometimes you have AB lines maybe in cross, but it's not, they're not as, you know, like formed out, taped out, like, uh, deliberate, sorry, is the word I'm looking for. And, you know, uh, Pitcock caught to the front group lap two and he chose the wrong line in the AB section going uphill. And he kind of went off the front and he sort of lost his, uh, advantage there. So I'm like, who how are they i know they're supposed to say one line is harder one line is longer but easier like is there someone actually like is there scientific is there empirical data that says yes actually these are the same but different or is it just kind of winged and you just have to be a rider and you recon it before like that that where he made that mistake and it was like slick at the top of that that is supposed to be the a line that he took because it's a little shorter but year after year, that's like A1 and A2 for that Alpshot course. When, it, when you'll see other, other tracks that will hit, and there's definitive A and B lines where there's a tough feature that you're just point, pointing your bike down and going, and the penalty is, well, if you don't want to go this way, you're going to have to go through these trees and loop around here and then come back and back on here, and it's going to take you you know, two or three seconds longer yeah i mean you're absolutely right Michael. i mean he just everybody knew that little line was the line to go and he just it was it was sort of hubris i mean i think he thought that he could he could get the lead there and he ended up losing a spot instead yeah somebody did that in the women's race too i forget who it was but uh, i think might have been becca mcconnell it was pretty early on that somebody chose that line and it did not pay off um but i if I, I promised you that I go deep on watching this content. I'm not kidding. Thomas Frischknecht and Andre Frischknecht, his kid, had a video that they put out a few weeks ago uh, going through A-line versus B-line and how you make those choices, like what you're reconning and what you decide within a race, first lap, second lap, if there's traffic, if there's not. It's like five-minute video or something like that where they're reconning stuff with rocks, so... Awesome. Um, but Very yeah, cool. it is, it is all about, I think like you're, you're making a, you're taking a calculated risk on an A line, B line, like the one at Alpstadt and 
you're, you know, it might pay off, but it's a risk. It didn't just pick, it didn't just cut. That was, he was done. He was like, done. I don't, yeah. he, when he got dropped, like he got dropped out of the top four or five, like he actually lost the, I mean, that was it. Like he didn't come back from that because right. they, they kept going. Um, so here's my question uh, to you guys. Pidcock, uh, you know, he gets this top five, so he'll be starting in the short track race. I mean, Obstadt seems like it was pretty geared towards his skill set. I mean, it was a very climby course, and we saw him as we were getting the super cuts, just watching him just pass a million dudes on the climbs. A um, little bit different dynamic. He's going to be in the short track race. We assume that he'll do well. We'll probably have a first two row start. Uh, I mean, does he, how's he going to do? Uh, a different course. Uh, different dynamic. We saw he made a huge mistake when having to race that cost him his shot at, you know, uh, a p- true podium. Uh, so, you know, I, it seems like a lot of people are saying, well, Pickcock's going to win. Like, no, Mesto, like, done deal. He's going to win. And I I don't know. What do you, how's this going to play out? What's going to, what are, what are our predictions? I, I think, you know, tagging him as a, as a, climbing special specialist on in mountain bike is a huge mistake. We know that. I mean, that's just, that's just dumb. We know we, we've seen him do a whole season of cyclocross. The guy is just like extremely powerful. He's, he's a classics rider on the road and, and we've seen him like with Wout and Vanderpool and stick with them, you know, on, on these punchy courses and Nova Mesto, it is true. Nova Mesto is like a fat tire cyclocross race it 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 true it's it's an amazing course as elizabeth said it's got like two well one real just nasty climb in there and then another one that's that's pretty tough as well but other than that it's just i think i think it's a one that a lot of the riders will say is their favorite course just because i think it's fun to ride and it's super fast so i I think and it's wide open so i think he's going to do just fine is he going to win i don't know I, i i think it's like koretsky definitely that I think that course matches his skills better than Albstadt. So you can't count him off. Nino has won there so many times and this is, he, he wants that win. I mean, he wants that record. And then are there going to be crowds there? I'm assuming there's no crowds. I don't know. Cause I mean, I've been amazed at how many people are at the Giro. So I'm starting yeah, to wonder, right? <laughs> I mean, I know Alpstadt didn't have crowds. I would imagine the Czech Republic doesn't, but. Which, which is a shame because what I was going to say is that for somebody like Andre Sink, that right there could just be the determining factor for him. I mean, Colhavy, even when he wasn't like on, on his top form, he shows up at this race and it's like, that crowd just sort of pushes him forward. So that that's kind of that's kind of a shame that that it's not going to be there because that would have been really cool with them finally having somebody in the men's race up up near the front again, which would have been awesome. Another guy we can't forget about who we already forgot about in this race, Anton Cooper. Great race for him, you know, getting pip cocked there at the at the the end. Uh, but this is another place where you know his biggest disappointment as a racer is losing by maybe a millimeter to to Nino a couple years ago at Nova Mesto. So this is a place that I think that he could he could really do well um there too. But I don't know. What do you guys think? What who's what do you what do you think? I think Vanderpool's gonna have a much better weekend at Nova Mesto. I agree with that. Yeah. I, I see Pidcock on the podium. 
potentially that top three, not the wide angle. Um, and I, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty dynamic. I mean, I think Koretsky is definitely out swinging. I think I can't remember, but I think the Olympic qualifying spots for the French men are pretty competitive too. So, uh, he's trying to put a stamp on that bid. Um, Milan yeah. Vader. This is going to be the return, the return. Oh, I know. He had such a good start at, yeah. at Alpstadt. I was, uh, I was wondering if he was going to be, be back still on it, but. Yeah. There are a lot of, a lot of big names so that, that didn't, didn't make it up there that I thought would, but let's talk about. And then stoked for Chris Blevins too. Like you took the words to out of my mouth. Yeah. He did. You know, it was, that was, I think in the watching the short track was like, I was so stoked to see him get that spot in the top 16 um, because he would get that, that front start. And I mean, had a great race. Finished 13th. And th- that was, that's exactly what I was going to say. I was, I wanted to talk about Blevins for a second. Cause I think Nova Mesto is a place that matches his, his strength better as well. And I think he's got a really good shot at a top 10 in this, in this race, which will be cool to see. And one thing I just want to mention, you know, Blevins and Batten both on this Trinity team, Trinity team that really was started because of Pidcock. That was his, his program. And my understanding of, of what they are trying to accomplish with this team, which is really cool is to get, these up and coming athletes like Haley, like, you know, Cameron, who unfortunately is hurt now and, and Blevins and put them in a situation where it's not all or nothing right from the gun. They're not on the specialized factory team where they were all, where Blevins was part of Trinity is also a specialized team. They're, they're given, they are being given the opportunity to develop on this team and not be put in a position where you need to perform now, you need to be on the podium now, or you're off the team. Cause that's kind of how specialized in the past has worked. So it's, it's really cool that this program exists and, and we've already seen, you know, at least with Haley and, and, and Chris that they're already taking advantage of it. So uh, I really, I think this will be hopefully another breakout race for both of them. Great looking kit too. Yeah, their old one was like I know a lot of people like their old one, like the like the the new age pink and blue one, camo one or whatever. But um, I was gonna say, in true American cycling fashion, you know, Blevins first U twenty three race does great. Thirteenth, we're like, yeah, you raw. Of course, his teammate first elite race out of U twenty threes, the woman kicks his butt, gets on the podium. So, uh, you know business as usual for American men in cycling, but still, you know, a great performance from him and an even better performance from Haley. So, yeah. All right. We are like, so, so, so long on this. I, I, I think that, I don't know. I, I don't want to start another topic because then we'll be talking for another hour. But what I do want to see is, uh, Elizabeth, will you come back and do this with us again? Oh, I'd love to. Okay. This is great. I would awesome. love to. Fantastic. So we got Nova Mesta coming up this weekend, Friday and Sunday. I I I can't the 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 other thing about short track is it's so awesome they can just sit down in the middle of the day and go watch a mountain bike race on a on a weekday. It's just the coolest thing. So look forward to that one. 
And then, yeah, we'll go all come back here um, next week and, and do it again. One last comment. Go for Mother's it. Mother's Day shout out five moms in that elite women's race. Pretty right. amazing. I mean, not the least of which most high profile Catherine Pendrel, like four months after having a baby out there racing. But yeah, five moms. Uh, Elisabeth Brandau, the German racer, uh, posted a, an inventory of every single one that was racing that huh. day. So it's pretty cool. That is really cool. Um, That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. All right, let's do it again next week. Wait, I have one last. I have one last hot take. Sorry, got to get it in. Kretzky, panache with the win, trash with the kit. And on that note, we'll see you next week. The Slow Ride Podcast. Three idiots who are usually wrong. The Slow Ride Podcast. The titanium of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast. It's like if David Vanderpool had a podcast. The Slow Ride Podcast. The Zwift Racing of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast. Find the real advice. The Slow Ride Podcast. The arrow helmet of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast. Sport leader coming through. The Slow Ride Podcast. When's Lance gonna sue us? The Slow Ride Podcast. The experts in French cycling. The Slow Ride Podcast. Official Fan Experience Zone on Facebook. The Slow Ride Podcast. The gravel bike of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast. Both vertically and horizontally compliant. The Slow Ride Podcast. New episodes every Tuesday.